we are so happy to have with us William Stewart, Big Sleeps. How are you doing today, man? I'm good, man. Thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. You are one of those forces to reckon in the community. You have done so much. You have been a rapper, a producer, a promoter, an actor. The list just keeps going on and on and on. Where does it end? I don't know. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I've come to a point where, you know, you got to do what you love in life. So I decided to kind of take on everything that I love, you know. So that's that's basically, I mean, I hope more comes to it. I hope I can more add more accolades to it. But for now, yeah. But Big Sleeps, I want to take it back to the beginning, you know. Tell us a little bit about your background. Where did it start? Well, I was born in Toronto, um, Canada. Uh, I lived in, uh, I grew up in Flemington Park as a kid. And then um, we moved to New York, Brooklyn, New York. So I went to school um, there till I believe I was went there when I was nine till 15. And then I got sent to live with my aunt in Edmonton, um, my auntie Cynthia, uh, because you know, you kind of start following the wrong crowd. You get yourself in a little trouble. And you know, my mom being, you know, West Indian, Grenadian, you ain't sitting down here and going to jail with these American fellows and thing you're running on Galavantin and thing. So I basically had to, my, I was sent to my, my, my auntie in Edmonton and uh, my auntie Cynthia. So I, I lived in Edmonton. I went to high school there, uh, St. Joseph's High School. Um, you know, I, I was angry at first, but um, with my mom and everything. Um, when she sent me to go live with my auntie in Edmonton. But, I, you know, now when I look back at it, it's probably the best thing that she could have ever done as a parent to get me out of there. Because uh, not even too much longer after that, um, I had two friends who were murdered, who I'd have probably been with, running around doing nonsense. At the time when they were, t when their lives were taken, a couple of other ones ended up in jail. And that was the core of us. There was like six of us who are. So you only have one other dude who didn't go. <laughs> so... At some point, I might have been in trouble with them at some point. So I think that's probably the best thing that, like my mother could ever did, just go with her instincts, like, you got to go. From there, I, my love for music kind of meant, because I met up with this, I met this dude named Phil Conley. He went by the name of AOK, -okay, and he just happened to be, like, the dopest white rapper in the city. And, um, you know, and now back at those times, I mean, you had, you, you had, like, very few. For him, he was a really good MC. I was like, wow. And then, you know, he, um, he was opening for shows that were coming to Edmonton and, and he had a radio show. So I'd help carry records, try to be figured out. And it was new to me because I've never experienced something like that. So one day he, he was in the recording studio a few times and I just decided that I was going to write a rap. And I rapped it to him. He was like, yo, you wrote that? And I was like, yeah, I wrote it. He was like, nah, I ain't even write that. And I was like, yeah, I swear to God, I wrote it. And then I spat it and then I showed him the papers that I wrote it. And he kind of nurtured that, like, like, yo, man, you should keep it up. And so I, I kind of did. And um, from there, that was my love for the wordplay. And um, it was just the, you know, hip hop culture gave you an identity. And uh, for, at that time, that was the identity I wanted to kind of be a part of, you know, baggy jeans and clothes that don't fit you properly and all kind of nonsense. So how far did you go in the music? Um, I appeared on a couple um, records that I was on that was released, but as far as my own projects, no, and that's a big that was that's a big thing where I've always said it's like you know part of it probably is the fear of like what if people don't like it, and then the other fear of you know uh, you have to work with the industry 
that's doing the the, the record labels who are signing you and you be in a city like Edmonton, you're not with the A&Rs in Toronto. You can't buy this guy a drink. Something that a lot of artists in Canada, we they never got the opportunity to really shine because, you know, there, I feel there was a community. There's not really an industry in Canada when it comes to urban music. What happens next then? You were in Edmonton, 15 years old. You're exploring music. Tell us, so what happens next for you? I moved to Vancouver because we came to do a showcase in 1992 um, called Groove 92. And we had so many, like there were so many artists out there. And uh, we, we drove from, from uh, Edmonton to Vancouver. Um, we performed at Groove 92. BMG Music was interested as us as a group. Um, that was the first time actually we met the Rascals. Um, and the Rascals, you know, everybody knows the Rascals. Like, I mean, they got the, one of the biggest songs in Canadian history. And, I, and I, on my radio show, I tried to tell people, like, listen, um, consider the Rascals music that they released as black history because they sold platinum records, um, uh, gold records, they sold gold records in this country. They broke barriers. They, they actually put a song together with, which united the entire country from east to west coast. So I got an opportunity to meet those dudes before they even had a record deal. Saul Guy, he, he was a dancer in the group before he actually took over management. Um, it, was, it was just dope to be, to, to, to know dudes who are part of this history in this country when it comes to black music, no matter how you look at it. And, um, you know, a lot of people actually wouldn't even know. See this phrase right here, Van City? See that phrase right there? Um, Red One made up, that was Red One. Red One came up with that name. He called it Van City. Because everybody was calling T dot T dot, and he came up and called it Van City. So you see all this funny how I'm wearing all this right now. But you know, big shout out to Martini at Dipped. Um, but it was actually Red One from the Rascals who who came up with the name Van City, and you know it's a staple now. We call that a state. You know, it's a staple in the Maple. And weird enough, at that time, I, that was my transition between um, getting into the film industry. I was just a, I was a PA, a production assistant, trying to act. And I started doing little things. I booked a few things and I came back. And that's when I went out. And I, when I came back off for our audition for a TV show called True Dust that starring Steven Seagal. And um, I actually booked it. And I played Mason on that series for the first season and a few episodes of the second season. And um, from there, I really started to find love and the passion for um, acting. What did that do for you in terms of what other projects came along? There was a domino effect. When I first started, you know, I was getting a few one-liners here and there. So when I first started acting before that, um, really, to be honest with you, how I got into acting was um, I, uh, I dropped a friend off at an audition. And I was just sitting in the car, minding my own business. And a friend of mine came down the stairs. And back then, you have to remember, there's probably only like nine black people in Vancouver. So when we saw a black dude, we was like, oh, hey, you know, hey, what's good? Oh, yeah, hey, what's up, man? He was heading on and so my friend was coming down the stairs next to Bell from the audition because I have a park right in front. Yo, are you here for the football commercial audition? I was like, no. He's like, you're dressed for it. And I looked down and I had a 42, number 42 on my chest. And it was a Nietzsche or a niece, whatever the name they called it back then. And um, he said, I'm gonna just run upstairs real quick and see if you could audition. I had no headshot, no resume, no nothing. And, I was, and he came back with a piece of paper to run the lines with me, ran the lines with me in the car. I went in audition and then I got a call back and I was like, at then you have to remember, I'm ignorant to this whole process of how film even works. So when I get the call and the girl is like, hi, William, 
Uh, we're just calling about the uh, Cox Communications commercial, and you have a callback. I'm like, callback? I didn't call nobody. What you talking about? We call who back? You want me to call somebody back? And she's like, no, it's called a callback. Are you new to this? And I was like, yeah, I am. So, okay, a callback is when you meet the director, you come in and you meet the client, and you audition for them again. I was like, well, what's wrong with the first one? Like, what? <laughs> I don't know. I was like, you want me to do it again? So I went through the whole process. Do I wear the same clothes? Whatever. She's so like, if you want to. So I was like, all right. So I went, I did the audition. But I, what I, why I got the role, why, why, what got me the second audition was because when we're standing, there was me and two white dudes. And I went, said, my name is, let's say, Slate Your Name. So this is how Big Sleeps even came a part of my whole, like, acting career part. Because I said, William Big Sleep Stewart. And they were like, all right, I, I go, William Big Sleep Stewart. And I looked around. I was like, I guess I'm the token black guy in the commercial. And then they like, so that's when the client saw that they laughed and they're like, we got to meet this guy in person. So that's what they told me. I booked the commercial and Dexter told them, give it to him because he needs credits. He needs to get in the union. So the homie looked out, but I don't think he realized how much money was going to be made from that. <laughs> so I didn't have an agent. So I, I hooked him up with the, um, the agent fee as going like, as a thank you, which kind of made me feel like, you know, I made. I think about that that day alone, I made something like five thousand dollars. Like what? Because we had over triple overtime, and I was mad because I'm sitting there because I'm just you know dude like I'm used to like five dollars an hour, five twenty five. Everybody's happy that minimum wage went up, and I'm I'm pissed. I'm like yo, I got here at four something a.m. and I'm still here, and it's nine p.m. at night. I'm vexed. And I'm seeing all the other white dudes reading the newspaper. They got coffee. They got the seats. They folded up. I'm like, bro, why are you so pissed off? I'm like, yo, man, like, I can go. I can get out of here. I can make more money doing, like, not being here. I'm like, I don't know about that, bro. And I'm like, what, what, what? He's like, yo, we're in triple overtime. I'm like, what is that, $20 an hour? Where, 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 where? And he's like, no, that actually equates to $386 an hour. And we've been making that for the last three hours. I said, hey, what's say like, what? I said, okay, I went and got a coffee, came back, came back, was relaxed, like, like a white man. That was the first time I was like, oh, okay, this is how I feel? Okay, okay. <laughs> so I just sat back and enjoyed the ride and started asking them questions. And that was uh, where I was like, man, make that much money in a day. You don't make that every day, but it was just an experience and getting residual checks and all that. So I took all that money and I started taking action. Back. If you want to go back, I, I did 50-50. Uh, with uh, Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon Lovett. I did um, uh, Good Boys as well. Done Game Over Man, produced by Seth Rogen. I finished a movie called Coffee and Kareem, where I play another gangster. You know, I get to play thug number one. I've done a lot of thug number ones and gangster number five, but at least in this one, I had a name. His name was D. And uh, I play one of the, the gangsters um, in, the, in the movie that's trying to kill Ed Helms, Taraji P. Henson, and Terrence Gordon Little High. Um, and then Torn, Dark Bullets, that's on Amazon. And I play a father whose son gets um, killed by a, a, a cop who you find out as the story goes goes on how, how important and how, um, I guess, with the, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors when it comes to racism and people's depiction of people of color. And one of the you know main things that we did this movie before the George Floyd thing happened and stuff, but you find out that this cop is racist, and that's where I, you know obviously I play a father you know 
whose son gets murdered by a racist cop. So you see the difference between all the comedy stuff that I've done. You get to see some like real work where it's like meat and potatoes, where I gotta cry, I gotta be angry, gotta be sad, gotta be a father. And we have won 14 awards out of 20, I believe 21 nominations at the film festivals. I'm starting to see more and more how much I love this craft because you get to, you know, coming from a hip hop world where you gotta be a tough guy all the time or you gotta have this persona of being, you know, sometimes it's like, man, you know what, at the end of the day, yeah, I could, I, I could be like that, but I don't wanna be like that all the time. I think it's kind of really helped me in a way, it's almost therapeutic to be honest, because you get to actually, you gotta cry. And sometimes it's, man, we don't cry for like 20 some years because you're told not so even in my first class, when they're like, just to find out how to find those emotions, I had to play Othello. I gotta, you know what I mean? I gotta find those emotions. You gotta find something to think about, so. But yeah, so I mean, that those are those are the movies that come to mind. No, I wanna know, of all the movies, the works that you have done, which one is your favorite one you have, you have done? Which one you said, damn, that's me, I did that. Is uh, Coffee and Kareem. Love to work with Michael Dallas as a director. You know, for a director to believe in you and, and uh, you know, your first first uh, scene where you say something funny. And he's just like, pretty much after that, I think I got the cosign from him that, you know, he would always give us options to to say, say whatever we wanted. And, you know, they used a lot of my improv in that movie. And Michael gave us a lot of cool things to say. And um, to have that kind of freedom was unbelievable. The writers were great, well-written movie. So that was my favorite one. Because I mean, after I did the Ja Rule little reference in the movie, and then the whole director and everybody started laughing, because that was pretty much improv between King Batch and I. So that was that was pretty cool. What? Say what again? Oh, shit! Bro, you can't do that! My bad. Yo, bad? <laughs> Are you working on any projects right now? Um, at the moment, um, no. We There's a few things that be coming back up. Like I broke my foot in coffee and cream. My arch collapsed in a running scene. And so that's just now healing and things are getting back. And so I am starting to audition. But uh, hopefully when COVID kind of, you know, clears itself up and a little bit more where I am feel comfortable about doing this. Because a lot of people don't know, I've had a kidney transplant in 2016. You know, Robbie, I got to say, you know, you were very, very uh, accommodating and cordial because normally we're supposed to be sitting side by side to do this interview. And when I explained it to you about me having a kidney transplant, you were like all for like safety and things like that. And people don't realize a lot of, a lot of people like no masks and, you know, COVID is scamdemic and all that. Well, COVID could kill me. So scamdemic, whatever the hell it is, and I'm going to do what it is for me to stay safe. I follow guidelines. So I appreciate you for that, man. Yes, man. Thank you. And thanks for doing this too, you know? Thank you. And uh, no, what's in the pipeline? Where do you go from here? I'm writing a TV series. I got plans to write a couple more like ideas for TV series, some movies. Um, as far as it goes for me, like I said, I want to create. I want to be the, the next company that creates jobs. And, you know, it's you got to start somewhere, man. The machine now is going to get upgraded and people who are of color and people who um, aren't of color, they see it. We're not, we're, most people aren't, we haven't grown up in that generation of, you know, like, you're this, you're that, you know, slowly but surely, 
you know, hopefully um, people's skin color will just be something of the past, which is going to be a long time. But I've said this many times. So as things change, your, your, your mind has to change, your mentality has to change in the sense of understanding that we're all individuals. But most of all, we're all human beings. Me having a kidney transplant proved one thing to me, because I don't know who the person was, whether they were green, purple, blue, whatever, is that they gave me an organ and we're all the same on the inside. Personally, I have seen, I've seen where there are more black people are in, in the film. And also I'm seeing more black people getting lead roles. Do you, do you think, or do, do you see where the industry is being more acceptable of blacks? Or where, where do you see we stand in the film industry? I think that the industry has always been acceptable for blacks, but I just think that the leading force of people writing the scripts weren't black. The people that were writing the black black scripts were being told, uh, well, this isn't going to make any money because it's not going to make the money like the other people who are doing it. So the only people who are going to make money is Will Smith, you know, Kevin Hart, you know, The Rock, and those kind of people because they they're established. So, you know, we got to really look at it do i feel like i think that i feel like it's the opportunities should have always been there but there's a formula there's a safe formula i think now when you think it are people being more accepting no i just think people don't want to look like race i hate to say it i mean because it went from you know you know you know descriptions of people of what the color of the person's skin was to any ethnicity oh really okay so equal opportunity to now now but oh okay but, um, you know, I, I could say that sarcastically, but, you know, for years, it's been like, I'll take what I can get. But I think the film industry is getting it. And I, I'm just glad that they are. I think it's been a little too long, but I'm just glad that they're, they're making moves. And I'm proud of them for that. For black people, let's say black people who want to get into the industry, what advice do you have for them? What channel should they take? As black people try to get up in the industry, your first thing is to don't call me and ask me to hook you up. Don't ask me to, to get you a role in any of the movies that I like what I'm doing and get a hookup. It doesn't happen that way. It does not work that way. If you've never taken acting class, if you wanted to always be an actor, you need to take the steps like everybody else does. You know what I'm saying? But now the real thing I can tell for black people <laughs> that yo you got to put the work in man like these things are happening for me right now what's happening is because there's 20 years like in, like of work like hard work you know what i mean dude there's no shortcut like do the work do your homework actually when we get off this phone i'm a zoom call i gotta start studying line for an audition tomorrow you know if you're gonna do something just learn about it okay well you want to be an actor go do background work learn how set kind of works a little bit um, and take multiple classes. Don't think I took one, so I'm going to I'm going to blow up. It doesn't work that way. Don't don't try to memorize your lines for an audition, waiting for a trigger line to say what your next line is going to be, because you're going to look like an idiot. Because this is what you look like on the screen, waiting for that trigger line. Why? You know, I always tell just read it for four hours straight, and you know, you'll lose the actor voice. I don't know why you what's going on. And no one's trying to hear that. Nobody, nobody's trying to hear that. <laughs> Don't do that on set. Don't do that about this. Love it and respect the work, man. Respect the job. Respect it.
There's no hookups. Don't call for a hookup. There's no such thing. You know, somebody might be able to put you in the right position to get a, get the role, but don't expect a hookup because then you just want to do this for props. And I have no, I, I don't have time for props. I ain't co-signing for nobody for props. You know, I'm still learning everything. I don't know everything. I'm just enjoying the ride and I'm learning a lot as I go. To be totally honest with you, but I've been blessed enough to uh, experience a lot of different things from the arts and um, I feel great, man. Well said, well said, my friend. Thanks a, thanks a million for joining us on our show and we appreciate everything you have to share with us. Thank you. No problem, man, anytime. Right. Thank you, Robbie, appreciate it. Cheers, thanks, guys. Thank you, Big Sleeps. There you have it. William Stewart, Big Sleeps. So wonderful to hear a story. Now, I hope you find this story inspiring. And of course, check out some of his work, his movies, his music. Like, follow, and share our story on YouTube. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. And also check out our web website at lenibor.academy. Thank you for watching. And of course, we will see you next time. Bye for now.